Hey, it's Gavin. Welcome to the Four Friends and Family Podcast. I have a really great guest. Uh, a friend of mine, Phil um, Deck, is... Phil, how would you describe yourself? Like, how would you describe... You're, you're based in Toronto, but you're a man of the world. But how, like, how would you describe who you are and what you do? I usually describe myself as a software entrepreneur, but I've had lots of experience in finance and growth companies and now I invest in software companies, uh, both private and public. I'm on the board of about five, uh, and I run a portfolio of growth stocks. And that's why I want to talk to you today. I want to talk about finance because, you know, I'm calling all my friends all over the world and they're giving me different perspectives. And some people are telling me what's going on in a city and some people are telling me what's going on in a country. But I really want to get your perspective on, let's just start right with everyday people out there, people who, you know, may be going through this crisis and going, they're going to lose their job. They're going to, what, like, what should people be thinking about in terms of how to manage money or, or what are some of the the pitfalls that people make in these situations? Not about buying stocks or doing things, but just how they should sort of look at outlook. Like, do you think this is going to be bad for a long time or should they, should they just keep like three or four months around or what should they do? Well, I think anyone who predicts when this is going to end uh, has uh, has too much confidence. I say two weeks. Um, exactly. <laughs> my my point proven very quickly. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just don't know. And uh, there's lots of, uh, you know, I guess most of my optimism, uh, to the extent that I have any, uh, is based on the fact that people are really innovative. And, and I'm in the innovation business and it's just amazing how innovative people are when you leave them alone. And, and one of the things I track a lot is is uh, what the medical community is doing. There's there's lots of different ways of attacking this. You can attack it through vaccines. That takes a long time. Uh, you can attack it through antivirals, and there's, there's five or six uh, different ones that are being tried right now. You can attack it by – um, you know, developing antigens that you can directly inject into people. There's a bunch of people doing that as well. So there is a lot of innovation. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but there are some remedies that uh, if probably not a cure, but um, could impact the numbers. And, uh, you know, it, it really is a numbers game. And that's why there's so much uncertainty. Uh, there's lots of people who obviously get this thing and, and don't have very serious symptoms but then there's a small number of people that have extremely serious symptoms and can die and really that's that's where we have to attack mm -hmm. uh you know with a therapy um and if, if for instance most of the people who die die because their lungs fill with fluid and and they need ventilation if you can attack that aspect of the the virus and and somehow uh you know make that make that less serious, then you could affect the, the mortality significantly. Now, who knows if that'll, that'll happen. That's, that's optimism. But I do think that there is, um, there are a lot of people working on a lot of different ways to try and attack this problem. And, uh, you know, if we can reduce the severity or duration of, uh, the very serious, uh, impacts of it, then suddenly the numbers, become much more manageable. I mean, of course, everyone right now is worried about uh, ICU capacity and ventilator capacity and, and you know, how are we going to deal with all these people who get really sick? And mm -hmm. uh, if we can make a big dent on it, then 
it really would become a much less serious thing because for most people it is a it is a, a fairly mild thing and and we we really just have to worry about the people who have a, a very serious response so i am optimistic about that but um i think uh you know obviously the 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 time is is very uncertain and until then uh governments around the world have decided to basically you know fund the payrolls and fund the expenditures of people who are displaced by this and and i think the you know the thinking is that we can almost pause the economy you know keep everyone paid uh you know shut most things down and uh then hopefully it can just rise up when this is over and and i think that you know whether that'll work is largely a function of how long uh it takes i mean there's you know i i find it interesting that there's obviously different cultures across the world and some cultures are more amenable to being to doing what they're told uh and you know this is where i think we have a challenge in the us because americans are not very good at doing what they're told and uh, that's one of the great things about the country but in this particular circumstance uh, it could be a bit dangerous and you think that that if if we don't I guess because you, you're you're in Canada, you work very much. You work across the borders. The SARS, how did SARS impact Canada from a, a monetary or a finance standpoint? And are people using that as modeling around you know? This well, I don't situation? think they should because SARS really didn't affect the city in a very significant way. It didn't affect the major economy in a significant way. Okay, uh, it was a different virus because pretty much as soon as you got that virus, you knew it and it was serious. And uh, the problem with this virus is so many people get it and don't know it uh, that it's much, much harder to contain. And and so SARS for sure was a big crisis and a bunch of people really suffered and many died. Um, but it didn't have the the kind of ability to shut down economies the way the way this has obviously around the entire world. And I guess from a finance standpoint is that – you know, if people have businesses or like you're on the boards of these businesses, what are you telling them? Like what when you're having calls, what do you say as a board member to businesses that may I mean, you're in the software business, so it's it's probably a bit of a boon time for you. But is there any mitigation that you guys are doing at the business level to make sure that this doesn't, you know, uh, adversely affect the long term health of, of, of some of the businesses you're invested in? Well, I certainly wouldn't call it a a boom time. Uh, I mean, the, the, you know, I'm extremely fortunate in only investing pretty much because this is where my background is only investing in companies that have recurring revenue, typically very strong balance sheets, um, and, and, uh, an ability to, to kind of survive for a while. The thing that's really affecting growth companies and, and software as a service companies primarily uh, is that it's hard to sell anything right now. It's it's you can why why is it hard to sell? Well, because sales require you to go and talk to people and and have meetings and do demos and and uh, it's you can do some sales with existing customers over the phone and you can you can do deals over the phone, but but to make new relationships is more difficult. And typical uh, enterprise sales requires uh, people to get out there. Now again, people will adapt and uh, maybe over time. Uh, people will figure out how to get business done without face-to-face uh, -face contact, but that's not that's not the normal cycle. And, and right now, uh, given the amount of uh, uncertainty, lots of companies don't want to make any new commitments to anything. So um, there's 
you know, software companies have the, the great benefit that they have this recurring revenue, that they tend to be tends to be very high margin. They deliver their products over the wire, so they, their supply chains are not interrupted. So th- there's a lot of things that make them uh, extremely resilient to this kind of thing. Unlike, I mean, I, I feel horrible for the people who have supply channels that have been completely disrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people obviously in the in the businesses that are hit worst, which are, you know, travel and and uh, um, particularly small businesses uh, uh, who who really have had to shut down. They don't have another way to distribute their products. They typically don't have an online presence. They're they're reliant on people showing up at the store and they're and they're closed for you know what could be a long period of time. So you know, I I really huh. feel for them. I'm very fortunate in the companies I deal with and. Mm-hmm. There's people who are a lot worse off. How long do you think this is going to go on? Do you think? Well, that's the. I think that's the most uncertain thing at all. I think the the question that we all have to be asking is not how long it's going to go on, but how do we <clears throat> how do we govern ourselves uh, in a way that we can survive <clears throat> survive for a long time? Uh, because it it could take a long time. We could be shut down for a long time. And of course, you know, it's. It, the U.S. is is an outlier around the world in that they, um, you know, depending on who you you listen to, seem to be questioning whether they want to do a complete shutdown. Uh, in some in some ways, I'm, I, you know, it makes some sense given that Americans are in some ways the least likely to put up with uh, long term confinement, um, just because of the, the the character of the U.S. and and. Uh, you know, what's but, such a great thing in almost every time is not a helpful thing in some ways right now. But they may be about to go on an experiment that that um, uh, is going to be what happens if it, you know, the, the virus spreads widely. And, and, you know, can you go and get herd immunity uh, and somehow manage the, the cases of people who get really sick? So, um, yeah. you know, the rest of the world is shutting down and and you know, trying to wait it out and trying to just stop the spread of it. And uh, the U.S. may be doing something entirely different. But at some point, you know, you've, you, you've essentially got to get it to have protection against it. So it's either you're going to have some sort of, you know, um, immunization or you're going to have to spend time. Uh, you know, you, you, you're going to have to come in contact with people at, at some point. I think what they're really trying to do, and I think you mentioned earlier, is that they're trying to stop the run on the hospitals. Is yes. that, you know, we, we just we it's not that we can't couldn't handle all the people. It's just that if everybody comes in at the same time, if we spread that out over time, and that's the reason why we're all being told to stay home. And I agree with you. I think that we here in America, as everyone knows, I'm in Venice in California. Um, you know, just recently the canals have stopped. Now we have 10 million people who come through here to Venice beach to every year. And the people that are here don't seem to be taking it that seriously. I think it started to be more seriously as the death rate has, you know, jumped up. Um, but you know, today, Today's Thursday, March 26th. It's 4.45 p.m. in the afternoon. And, you know, it's it's pretty chilled, you know, chilled out. I just I just wonder if I mean, not to be too morbid, but what are the opportunities here? Is there is there are there opportunities in the stock market that people should be thinking about? Or is there anything that are there any like in insights that, you know, friends and family should be considering in terms of like how much money they should have on hand? Are there any of those sorts of things that, you know, someone who, who, like yourself who would know, uh, be able to recommend? 
Well, I, anyone who tries to time this market or play this market, I, you know, again, uh, must have a lot more confidence than I do. I, I think that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, are I you think like you selling to... all your stocks or are you keeping your stocks or like, what do you do in a situation like this? No, Just out I, of curiosity, I, I don't have invest, a lot of stocks. So I only invest in things that are re- reasonably resilient to this kind of thing. And, you know, I'm a very long-term investor. So, uh, you know, I think people, people can get through this, but I think people have to look at their own balance sheets and, and, uh, you know, and, and really think through how they can be safe. Um, you know, there was a terror, there was an odd statistic or a terrible statistic that, you know, most Americans and, and this applies to Canadians as well, only have about a week or two of, of cash on hand, uh, before they would run out of money. And, and, um, you know, it's not, it's not really for lack of money because you, you see the same, uh, behavior regardless of income. So people who have 40,000 income you know, have a, a week's cash on hand and people who have 80,000 and people who have 150,000, they all have a week's cash on hand. It's a, uh, there's, there's a week's cash on hand, meaning that I'm, I'm just to, for clarification, like the cash in their hand in dollar bills or in the bank, no, to be able in, to spend. The bank in, in the bank, only a have, week that they, they live check to check. And, hmm. uh, you know, regardless of what income level they are, they've, brought their expenses up to the level of their of their income and so it's dangerous because if the income goes away for a little while then suddenly they they don't know what to do they they don't know how to pay their rent they don't know how to pay their mortgage and and so um it's not a it's not a great way to to uh manage your affairs but a lot of people are in that situation and i think that's why governments have uh been working to try and get cash into people's hands fairly quickly so i think you know, the state of your own balance sheet, um, you know, should inform those decisions a lot more than whether there's an opportunity or not. Uh, there may be an opportunity. We'll know in hindsight, I guess. Um, but it's not really the time to be adding risk if you're already in a precarious position. And some people are saying that, you know, this is the time to renegotiate. This is the time to go back to your mortgage and your car loans and all that sort of stuff and, and start negotiating because it's going to be possibly two, three months before, um, you know, things are going to start generating. And then, and then back after that, you know, it's another three to six months that they're saying that the, the travel industry is probably going to be 19 20 months before it's back anywhere close to where it was before and this i think is what's bothering many of the governments around the world is they're just worried about the trillions of dollars worth of money that they're that you know the economies are just grinding to a halt and and we wonder you know how it's going to impact and no one seems to know even though they're willing to put two trillion dollars and and when the u.s puts two trillion dollars into the economy what exactly does that mean well it doesn't mean much if you can't spend it so if you can't go to the store if you can't go on a trip if you can't buy anything then the fact that you have some money means maybe you can make your mortgage payment maybe you can pay your rent uh, but you're not going to go in and spend it in the economy because it's hard to spend money right now yeah. and and some of those industries like travel and and uh, hotels which are just getting massacred right now um you know, in some ways that I, I think I actually think that business could spring back fairly fast. But those companies tend to be highly levered. If you if you own a hotel, you have a probably have a big mortgage on it. If you have a 
if you own a bunch of airplanes, they're probably leased and you have capital leases that you have to pay for. So, and those companies typically don't run with lots of excess cash. So, uh, you know, they're not designed to, to just shut down for a month or two. And so many of them may face bankruptcy. You know, there may have to be uh, rescues. Uh, people may lose equity. Um, you know, that mm. the government may, may have to step in in some cases. So um, even though I think if this issue resolved itself, those, you know, travel could come back fairly quickly. Um, those companies are not designed to survive this for very long. Wow. So as we wind up here, I just, you know, I, I, cause I do want to check in with you every once in a while just to see what, I know you're a stats guy. You look at a lot of numbers. What are some of the interesting numbers or anomalies or, or things out there that people might not, you know, know or understand that have sort of piqued your interest where you're like, wow, that, you know, like that stat you're saying that most people have like a week of uh, cash on hand. What are some of the other things, the other indicators that you're looking at that uh, might be interesting just for people to, you know, continue on or do some research on? Well, I, I'm spending a fair bit of time thinking about how this all resolves itself. I mean, even if you assume that we find a way to manage this uh, terrible thing uh, fairly quickly and that we, uh, the economy starts coming back and people uh, you know, start coming back to their jobs, uh, we're going to end up with uh, an enormous amount more debt on the, the balance sheets of countries. Eventually, that debt is going to wind up in the hands of, of central banks. Certainly, in Europe, the central bank already had gone and bought most of the bonds and mortgages uh, and even a lot of the commercial debt in in Europe. The, the Fed, as everyone knows, uh, you know, about a third of their balance sheet is treasury bills and about – sorry, two-thirds is treasury bills and, and about a third is commercial uh, commercial and residential mortgages now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the central banks will end up having to create money and, and buying a lot of that debt. And the question is what happens long term? Uh, you know, classical economics would have you believe that that's going to cause a lot of inflation. Um, it's been – 10 years since we saw any kind of inflation and, and uh, not for lack of trying on the part of, of central banks. But at some point, what happens to all this debt? And what happens gonna... with the inflation? Like if people, when you say inflation, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, I don't know what he just said. I'm so confused. But if you, when you talk about inflation, like what, what do you mean? Inflation is when the value of your money goes down. So when the when the price of everything goes up, it means that your money isn't worth very much. And mm-hmm. so when you have high rates of inflation and, uh, you know, sorry, Gavin, you have to be as old as me to uh, remember when we had hyperinflation uh, in the in the 80s uh, and interest rates hit 18 percent. We haven't had anything like that since. And and that was really, you know, that event in, in the U.S. Uh, cured by Paul Volcker was really the start of what I would say is modern central banking, where uh, we've managed inflation really well. We haven't really had any significant inflation since then. Uh, but it doesn't mean it couldn't come back. And you know, when you create a massive amount of debt, mm-hmm. uh, as we're going to do, <clears throat> I mean, I think the U.S. program is, is $2.5 trillion. In Canada, we've just announced that we'll do about $150 billion. And, and uh, so you know, there's, there's a huge amount of debt in Canada uh, including the provinces, there's about 750 mil- billion of debt outstanding already. We're going to add 
probably 200 to that this year. So at some point, um, that's a lot of debt right now. At what point does it tip over? I don't think anyone knows. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, central banks have been trying to create inflation, as I said, for the last 10 years, and they haven't. But generally, when companies get or countries get uh, way, way, way too much debt, typically uh, inflation happens or people allow inflation to happen because inflation basically allows countries to uh, inflate out of their debt. It means that they make uh, the their debts uh, smaller relative to their assets. So, Hmm. So, th- uh, so I mean, you know, when- that's something to think about going forward. It's, uh, you know, again, it's impossible to predict. Uh, we don't know how much debt will be created. We don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know how people are going to behave and, and deal with it. Uh, but certainly the risk is there. So I guess the, the main the main advice you give to everybody is like, don't buy anything, you know, <laughs> start paying off as much as you can uh, to, to get your overall, um, you know, what you what you what you're outgoing um down as much as much as possible because you know there, there's probably going to be a lot more job loss than there is and right now you the, the how long will the you know as my sort of last question this two two and a half trillion why do you keep starting every question with how long i don't know and i've answered every single one with who knows <laughs> well how long do you think that the 2.5 trillion is going to last like what? What is the idea behind? So you put two. How long is a piece of string? Well, if you give everyone twelve hundred dollars, right? Yeah. And that what, what they're thinking of doing here is is like is is the math that that the idea that that it's going to keep it keep us going through well, three or four people, months. How yeah. many people have even a rent payment less than twelve hundred a month? I know I that's mean, what it will I, help. I don't it will know. help people who are who are very low income for sure, and that's important. Um, but for people, you know, there are a lot of people with higher incomes, you know, people who are making 150 and 200,000 a year that live check to check and And they can't just immediately sell their house and they can't just immediately, you know, cash everything in. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, they, they, and, and maybe if, if anything good happens from this crisis, it will be that people will, uh, you know, I mean, people who are again, 50, 60 years old, they, you know, other than maybe the Vietnam War in the U.S., I I don't think anything has come close to this crisis since the Second World War. Yeah, As I was talking uh, with so, a, I was talking with my so friend. So people really the same haven't thing. haven't been through this before, and and uh, it may be, who knows? It may be that after this, people say, you know, I think I think we maybe have to keep a little in reserve. And again, lots of people will say, well, it's easy easy for you to say, what if you don't make much money? But the fact that the behavior is spread across virtually every income level says it's not really about the fact that you don't make enough. It's the fact that you've, you've raised your expenses exactly to the level of your income. Wow. Thank you so much for your time. I am going to come up with better finance questions next time I talk to you and uh, try not to start off with everything with how long um, and really work, really work on that. But I I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and and, uh, I wish it was as warm up here in, gloomy Toronto as it was in, as it is in Venice, but uh, spring is coming and hopefully that'll have an effect on this as well. Yeah. The people will be able to camp outside because they won't have a house. Exactly. <laughs> All right. You're dark. You're really dark. 